0: Coming up on Jason and week two is officially in the books, and man, did it remind me just how much I love college football. We got waiver wire pickups for you guys, and we're adding a new segment this week. We're going to include Mr. Nate Marquise's freakout scale, and we're going to get ahead on some of those players that you guys are definitely freaking out about, and we're going to tell you whether or not that is warranted or not. All this and more coming right after this.
1: Looking to Jared Stearns who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Henderson! As advertised, touchdown
0: Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. I am pleased to say that it is actually a gorgeous day here in Athens. Like the last couple of times we've recorded this, we talk, we've talked, we done some weather talk and I'm sitting here like, man, it looks disgusting out there. But today it's gorgeous. Very, very nice day. Welcome back, like I said, welcome back to another episode of Chase and Natty, guys. It is week two officially in the books. We're here to give you guys some waiver wire pickups, as well as talk about some of those players that you guys are definitely going to be wondering whether or not they're worth rostering at this point. And to help us out with that, I have my wonderful co-host, Mr. Nate Marquise, on with me today. Nate, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm fantastic, Jared. Another uh, incredible college fantasy football weekend. I was up again late last night. Uh, there was some really good late night games. There was. Uh, yeah, so I was, I was following along because man, it was like a a differential of like a point in in my home league with the guy that I was up against. So I was I was trying to see, okay, please God let Jaden Delora struggle a little bit here. So And then you start uh, Jaden Delora. Interesting. I he did. I did not. So I was I was up a point and you know late in the game with him. So I was happy to see him throw a few picks and then they finally yanked him. So
0: I yeah. was I was in the Kings Classic League. I was playing up against Matt Hicks this week and he started Jaquavius Marks and he needed Marks to get like 30 points in order to catch me. Yeah, And I was like, okay, Marks, he's not a 30 point kind of guy. And then like by the end of the first quarter, he was like at 10 points already. I'm like, okay, okay, let's calm down here. Let's calm down here. We don't need... <laughs> I, it was full PPR too. So like he could easily just keep catching balls. He didn't even need to... I don't know. I started freaking out and then I went to bed, woke up, found out he got hurt in the game. Kind of just left the rest of the game. I'm like, okay, I don't root for injury. But I'm right. kind of happy that one happened a little bit because it definitely kept him off my butt.
1: Uh, um, yeah, I think one of the one of the best parts of college fantasy is staying up late to just those nail biter matchups, or you know, waking up and checking your phone and be like, oh dear god. Let's he, talk about this. Like, let's actually- talk about
0: this for a little bit here, because like this is why I think places like ESPN and all these ma- massive media companies are missing out on something here because I, I remember it was John Lobb said in one of our chats the other day where he said the Clemson-Georgia Tech game, the only reason why he was even watching that game was because of Will Shipley. and like Otherwise, he would not even have bothered to watch that game. And I, I'm sitting here wondering, like, yeah, if College Fantasy eventually blows up, so many of these games that don't get eyeballs are suddenly mm-hmm. going to have a ton of people watching them because they're going to have... Some stake in the game again. I, I don't see again. I don't understand why again. I, I get it, but I don't get it.
1: It's and it's the same with gambling as well. I mean, yep. people stay up late to watch the Hawaii games because it's the last opportunity to try to make up for how crappy of a of a run you had earlier in the day with with some of the the bets that you placed. I think it would be really cool if, if we get to the point someday where ESPN or Fox or whatever, whatever network the game is on that on on the sidebars you can see okay this is win probability yep based off where you're at in the game this is how this is the exact stats of you know jaden delora and, and stuff like that so that you can see kind of track as you go okay this is how your fantasy guy is doing this is the chance that i'm actually going to pull out this and be able to cash this ticket so yeah there, there's definitely an untapped um market there that, that i think they could dive into
0: i definitely definitely agree uh, Nate, we'll start off this show again, kind of like we usually do. We'll do a little bit of recap from this past week and everything. Let's talk about some of these bigger games this weekend. Uh, but I guess we could first talk, do quick 30 seconds of our teams and everything. My Georgia Bulldogs, we faced Sanford yesterday, won 33, nothing. Dare I say it was a boring game. It, it was just like every, it felt like almost everybody there didn't really want to be there. They just kind of went through the motions, scored 33 points. Didn't let him score a touchdown, and we kind of called it a day. It was a very lethargic day for the Bulldogs, I would say overall. Not a very fun game to watch, even as a fan. Uh, but you had your uh, your uh, Sooners had a very interesting outcome yesterday. I think it was where were they up seven three at halftime against Kent State.
1: Yeah, yeah, seven three half. Uh, they pretty much mirrored what uh, what went on with with Georgia as far as it being kind of a boring. I mean, that's what I, I looked at my father-in-law who I was watching the game with. And I was just like, God, we just look boring right now. Like this game is actually boring me. And you don't hear that. <laughs> you don't feel that very often with the Jeff Levy uh, offense. But it was they hit Marvin Mims late and at the end of the first uh, first half. And then they, when they interviewed Venables, he was like, yeah, we're going to do more of that. That's what we <laughs> need to do. And, and, they and uh, clearly he had a conversation with uh, with Lebby and, and Gabriel at halftime because, yeah, he was he was featured a lot more in the second half. So it was good to see oh, yeah. Starvin Marvin get to eat a little bit.
0: Yeah, de- definitely love that. I didn't love the fact that I was playing him in a P5 only league. It was a very mm-hmm. close game up until that point. And all of a sudden, Marvin just absolutely blows up by the end of the game. And I'm like, well, there goes my chance of winning this this yeah. game. Uh, let's talk about some of the other like bigger, bigger games like. God, so many great upsets yesterday. It, it, it is, yesterday was peak college football. I gotta love it. But we can start with the biggest game of all yesterday, and that was Alabama at Texas. Nate, you and I are both fully expecting an absolute bloodbath here from Alabama. I said last week Georgia made a statement, this week Bama's going to make a statement against Texas, and that is straight up not what happened. So what's your reaction to the score of 20-19 to 19 Bama
1: wins? The biggest takeaway I had was how incredibly undisciplined Bama looked. Mm-hmm. So many penalties. Like It seemed like every every other play that the 15. defense was 15 penalties. Yeah, I mean, the, the offensive line was, was jumping early with false starts. The defense was late hits and face masks all over the place. I mean, they had a number of penalties, uh, PIs and face masks that they didn't even get called for that they yeah. could have. So, yeah, it was just really strange to see how undisciplined they were. I think
0: it it wasn't even just like you know the young players who were doing this and everything like Will Anderson had three penalties called on him yesterday two offsides and then just a gross late hit uh, that he had from a guy that was clearly on the ground for a good while and he just kind of shoved him back over as soon as he got up it was I don't know if he was frustrated just wasn't playing to his uh, potential but like it it was very very weird I agree 100% I was texting my sister the whole time she's a Bama fan I was like this doesn't look like how Bama normally looks in terms of just how disciplined they play.
1: Yeah, I feel sorry for, I think it's Louisiana Monroe is who Bama has this week because Saban is just going to be ripping uh, everybody a new one in practice all week. But I, I mean, obviously I'll give Texas some credit, oh, yeah. but but the two things that kind of stuck out to me outside of the undisciplined you know, play was Bama's offensive line is not as good as what we thought it would be. They're definitely struggling. And it's crazy that this defense through two games against Texas and um, Utah State has forced zero turnovers and has three sacks in two games. I mean, this was supposed to be an epic, you know, similar to what we saw from Georgia last year, that kind of defense. We saw that late in the year, and they're bringing all these freak show athletes like Turner and Anderson and all these guys back, and they're just not – creating the kind of chaos we thought we'd get
0: and it's not for lack of trying i mean last week we kind of had the excuse that utah state was running a quick pass system they're getting the ball out quickly they're trying to just hit their playmakers and try to uh secure the ball as best they can we didn't get that this week against texas there were several times where they let ewers in a later card drop back for a good bit let them sit in the pocket and try to hit a deep shot on it they weren't just thrown out to the perimeter and everything and in addition Watch Bama's play calls on defense. They were trying to dial up pressure several, several times. And it wasn't really until later in the game that they kind of got home with it. But that's also part of what was going on with Will Anderson. Again, jumped off sides twice early on in the game. So clearly they were trying to create some pressure. But again, due to the, either the undisciplined nature, just not executing well, they were. it was just very off overall.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It did. It looked... It did not look
0: like them. It did not look like Bama. And again, let's give Texas some credit here. Their defense looked much better yesterday than I was anticipating. Gary Patterson, I do think, might be one of the most underrated hires of the entire offseason. I think that was a great hire for them to make on the defensive staff. And I think that's going to pay dividends for them down the road, especially now that Quentin Ewers is out four to six weeks. Hudson Card will be the quarterback moving forward. I think... We're going to see Texas get a little bit more conservative on offense and they might have to rely on that defense just a little bit more. But considering that that defense held Alabama to 20 points and that's supposed to be one of the best offenses in the country this year. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's any reason not to expect that moving forward.
1: Yeah. I'd like to see it more. I'd like to get a, a couple more weeks to really see what that defense is all about. But I mean, no doubt. I mean, It's it was a terrific hire to get him from TCU. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's he's got an incredible track record, incredible resume of coaching up uh, you know, championship level defenses. So no no doubt, great hire. Yeah. And then the one other thing, I guess we haven't wrote
0: I didn't put him in the freak out scale, but we could talk about it real quick. Jermaine Burton and Trayshawn Holden yesterday. Abysmal performances could not separate whatsoever. Are we worried about that a little bit, Nate?
1: Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. No, it's, it's Alabama. I think they'll figure it out and they have arguably the best quarterback in the country. So sure. yeah, I'm not, I'm not freaking out yet, but man, that was uh that was, that was not a great performance. And, and Texas even lost like halfway through the second quarter lost one of their better defensive backs. So it's like, geez, how can you guys not put it together? But I think once the offensive line starts to play a little bit better by he was, Bryce Young was on the move a little bit more than what he would prefer. He likes to, you know, get out in space on his terms, not when he's being forced in the space. Yep. And so I think once some of those get corrected, then we see, you know, some of those, those numbers come up a little bit just once they get a little bit more time.
0: No, definitely makes sense. Uh, let's move on to some of these other uh other big upsets from yesterday yeah Texas A&M going down to Appalachian State App State does it again baby God. if you're Jimbo Fisher and you are or you are somebody who is throwing money at Jimbo Fisher right now you gotta be sitting here thinking that you just wasted millions on this this was supposed to be their year this was supposed to be like they're bringing in this epic class they got immediate media contributors everywhere they have been building something year after year. They were going to get to 10 wins. They were going to challenge Bama for the West. And then you go and lose to App friggin' State Week 2. There are some serious problems with this offense. And I don't know if it's a personnel thing. I don't know if it's a scheme thing. I, I, I'm leaning definitely more towards scheme. But man, that was a problem yesterday. So Nate, what was your reaction to that game?
1: 186 total yards is what Texas A&M had against App State. I didn't look up to see what North Carolina got against App State, but I can promise you it was two to three times more than that. I agree. So, yeah, it's it's the same it's the same story different year with with Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. He's got all this, you know, all the talent that money can buy, you know, wink wink, but he doesn't have the quarterback in order to make it happen. I mean, Haynes King had two ints against uh who, who did they play in Sam Houston. Who did they play in week in week one no it was a, yeah two ints against Sam Houston in week one. he had a few ints before he got injured last year against Kent State. He did absolutely nothing against App State. like this is the best you can throw out there. this is your king Haynes King I mean he's <laughs> he's, he's not very good and yet Jimbo went with him and they don't have anybody to unlock this offense with some pretty decent weapons as far as pass catchers between Stewart and Smith and, and they're always consistent and tight in. Yeah. They're a mess. They're a mess on offense. And it's, they're going to, they're probably going to beat somebody that they shouldn't like they've done with Fama in the past or, but they're going to lose these games. So you're just like, man, what are we paying for again? It's crazy.
0: Yeah, so like I'm, I I just looked up the offensive coordinator for Texas a and because I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. It's Dickie, Dickey, Daryl yep. Dickey. And this is like, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the scheme. Because like, you see what Kirby Smart did at Georgia. He went out and took, got somebody from the outside. This is something that Dabo's refused to do. It looks like it's something that Jimbo's kind of really refusing to do. Yep. Is he went and got somebody... From the outside, and he pretty much com- almost completely turned it over to them. Now it took Georgia a few years with Todd Munkin to get to a point where they felt comfortable with their starting quarterback. Somehow it was Sess and Bennett at the end of the day, but even still, I don't see that pattern going on for right now with A and M. In fact, it looks like it might be getting worse. I'm I'm very concerned about like if they're, if they're going to be able to hold on to this class that they've got going on. Like I could see many many different transfers out of Texas A and M by the end of this year, if. The program just does not look like it's in a good direction.
1: I think they paid, I was, I was looking up with all these upsets. I'm, I'm always fascinated by how much these, these blue blood slash P5 programs pay G5 teams to come in and beat them. And they paid um, $1.5 for App yes, State to come in and beat them, which is always hilarious to me because you have to hand them that check on their way out the door after they just embarrassed you in front of your home crowd. Yeah, <laughs> we, can, we, we can use that as a transition into Nebraska if you want to. Because
0: Oh, yeah, I, I'll we, be real. I completely forgot about them as well, but
1: they, buy, uh, buy,
0: buy uh, Scott Frost.
1: Yeah, right. So Scott Frost is out today as we're recording. Uh, he, he got canned Sunday morning. It's, a, it's amazing how badly they wanted Scott Frost out because his, his buyout is 15 million. And if they would have waited 19 more days, it's 7.5 million. And they're like, nope, still nope. not worth it. We're 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 willing to eat that extra seven point five million to can him today. So basically in the last twelve hours, they handed two million dollars over to Georgia Southern to beat them. Yep. And then fifteen million dollars over to Scott Frost to not coach them anymore. So just amazing uh what what kind of a dumpster fire that, that they are right now.
0: I've been told the most lopsided rivalry in sports is not between any two teams it is between the academic office of college football coaches and their agents yeah because these buyouts are absolutely ridiculous that some of these coaches yeah.
1: get so my and, my when i text my father-in-law who's a nebraska guy that uh, frost was out he said uh all he all he replied back was what a wealthy failure that was for him
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh my god i you, you have to think that he was just trying to get fired before that date so that he could get that extra like he, he if, knew he was out the door regardless. So it's oh, like Oh, there's he,
1: no there's no doubt. If I'm Scott Frost, I am partying tonight knowing that I just secured a bag of seven point five million more than I thought I was gonna get by the end yeah. of this year.
0: I try not to talk ill about coaches like that in terms of like, oh yeah, they totally just want they totally just want to do that. Cause like there's there's coaches out there that are legit competitors. They don't care about that kind of stuff and everything like that. Right. But man Scott Frost does not strike me as that kind of dude. Um, but, yeah, what, what an absolute embarrassment for Nebraska. 45 to 42 from Georgia Southern. Again, burn it all down, build it back up. Keep Mark, Mark Whipple. think that was a good hire. I think yeah. you should keep him around. But, again, go out and find yourself a good CEO coach that can turn that program around because, man, Scott Frost felt like more than anything an emotional hire. Last upset we'll talk about here today Marshall goes to Notre Dame and takes down the fighting Irish. I believe the final was 26 to 22 or 21. I can't remember off the top of my head. Regardless, picks it, picks six, seals it late. And is this partially that Marshall, I think, is just better than we're, we're anticipating? I think they are probably one of the better group of five teams. But also, I think there's definitely some Notre Dame has a lot of stuff to figure out with this new coaching staff. And a lot. I believe... Uh, somebody pointed out this is the first time ever a Notre Dame coach has started off 0-3 as head coach for the Fighting Irish. So again, which way are we kind of feeling on that?
1: So I do think Charlie Huff is, an, is a really good coach. It's going to get a, um, a big-time job at some point. He's Marshall's head coach. He's, a, uh, he's another Nick Saban disciple. So he's, he's definitely in line for, for a nice promotion at some point. So we'll, we'll see him at the P five level, but yeah, it's one of those deals with Notre Dame. When, when you have a coach that's never been a head coach, it looks great. The fan base loves him. Everybody's hyped up for it. He's, he's recruiting. Well, you're happy to see the, the, the Brian Kelly move on to LSU, but then you're like, Oh crap. But he's never coached a game. He's never had to face this level of adversity before. So 0-3 Oh, and three is not a good look. Um, that's that's for sure. So I, we talked a little bit about Tyler Buckner last week, and you know how he performed against Ohio State, and it's clearly Tommy Reese has not been able to open that playbook very much with him yeah. under quarterback, and it made me think all of the and especially the quarterbacks of this class that are they're, they're in their second year um, from coming in from high school, and it's it's such a volatile class. You just don't know what you're going to get because 2020 was their senior year. They did not have one because of COVID. A lot of these yep. players, Tyler Buckner, did not play his senior year. He Evaluations play, couldn't happen. He didn't play much his sophomore year because of a knee injury, and he didn't play much last year because he was the backup. So, I mean, you you got a brand-new quarterback that's literally played one season in, in the last four, and it's like – you just don't know what you're gonna get between that and a brand new coach.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, 100. I think I think you're absolutely right. And again, like I kind of threw out there as well, like these teams couldn't evaluate these players like they really right. wanted to. So much of it was based on what they knew before. They just had to assume that these players were going to continue to develop, whether they did or not. Some players fell behind. Some players are hidden diamonds in the rough. Like I again, not to sound too homershian here and everything, but Ad Mitchell was one of those players that I think had full evaluations have been done he probably would have been upwards of a four-star prospect rather than the three-star that he was lad McConkey, another one he was a two-star prospect out of high school all of a sudden now he's a starter starting wide receiver for Georgia probably would have been yep. higher had they gotten full um, gotten full evals during that period but on the flip side of it there's a lot of players who we just kind of assumed were gonna stay good but then like you kinda of mentioned Nate they're kinda of falling off a little bit because they miss out on a lot so We'll see. All right. We'll move on. Next, next segment coming up is Mr. Nate Marquise's freakout scale. We'll get to that in just a second. But before we get too far, I haven't given you guys my spiel yet. So let's give the spiel here. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, and comment right down there below. If you're listening to this on podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever your favorite uh, podcasts are going, you can make sure you follow us there and leave a five-star review if they allow you to. In addition, we are part of the, the CFF team here at Campus of Canton. It is myself, Nate Marquise, Brandon Sanders, and Chris Moxley. We got podcast articles, uh, weekly CFF rankings for you guys. We have tools for you guys, all sorts of great stuff. So make sure to go check that out at Campus of Canton. Uh, check out our weekly lineup of different shows right now. Again, Mondays and Wednesdays, you got and Natty with myself, as with Nate Marquise and Chris Moxley during the season. On Tuesdays, you got Campus Life with Austin Nace and Colin Decker as well. Which is the college side of the Campus of Canton podcast. And then on Thursdays or Fridays, you'll have the Canton Bound with Austin Nason, Colin Decker. That's the NFL side of the Campus of Canton podcast. Wednesday nights, you got Debbie Debate live streamed on YouTube with Felix Sharp, Matt Bruning, Austin Nason, Chris Moxley. And then usually later in the week, you'll have the Bet on C2C podcast with Brandon Sanders, Chris Kay, and Ethan Sowers. They do a great job of giving you guys the best lines, the best prize picks the best um the best dfs plays of the week so absolutely go check that out as well and then on saturday campus kenton has got two shows going on two live shows one in the morning the tailgate that is with myself austin nace colin decker matt bruning and chris moxley and then at night you have college fantasy tonight hosted by felix sharp and you have a great recap of the day's events so absolutely go check all that out really appreciate you guys listening nate Let's go talk about your freak out scale here. If you want to explain to people what exactly the freakout scale is here.
1: Sure. Yeah. So the last couple of years, I've sent out a tweet after week one, basically asking, okay, send me a name of a player and I will let you know how much you should be freaking out about this guy and how much you should be overreacting or feeling good about, you know, what we saw from, from the first week of the season. So Scale of, of, of 1 to 10 here, 1, shouldn't shouldn't be freaking out at all. Start with confidence. 3, kind of closely monitor. 5, you know, look for a backup plan. Things aren't going well here. 7 is a guy that you definitely want on your bench and want no part of the starting lineup. And then up to 10, which is just straight up drop that fool. You don't want that guy on <laughs> your roster anymore. He's taking up space and move on to something else that'll be a little bit more profitable for you.
0: Yep, and again, we're going to try to get ahead. Nate, you're probably going to put out another tweet like that, I imagine, sometime this week. And we're going to get ahead on some of the players that we think are probably going to be mentioned over and over again. So we we got seven players here to talk about. A lot of wide receivers. Actually, out of the seven, we're going to talk about five of them are wide receivers because there's some real volatility with some of the wide receivers this year. So let's get straight into it. First one we're going to talk about here, Mr. Stefan Cobbs, wide receiver out of Boise State. In the two games so far, he has recorded four receptions for 39 yards. This is a guy that was going in the fourth to at the latest sixth round range of ADP during the offseason. And even in this last game, he recorded a big fat zero despite the fact that he was playing most of the game. So Nate, scale of 1 to 10, what does the freakout scale say about Mr. Stefan Cobbs
1: here? I would put him probably at a I would go as high as a 9. Oh, wow. Okay. Certainly considering dropping him. So, he's somebody coming into the season that I mean, obviously hindsight's 2020, but I didn't get one single share of him out of like the 10 best balls that I was in because I just thought that the the asking price was just too much. And man, that Tim Plow offense is so disappointing. They don't have an identity at Boise State as to what they are. And we all hope to to kind of plug and play him into the that that lead wide receiver role there. But man, no a goose egg in week two. And the, the thing that worries me most is that his snap count saw a pretty steep decline. He yes. went from playing you know the the most snaps out of the wide receivers to. I don't know, probably third or fourth on that list uh, this this last week. So that's that's really concerning to the point where uh, there's got to be better options out there for you. You'd have to be in a pretty deep league in order to to not let him go at this point.
0: I'm currently trying to look up. I, I posted that in the Slack. Uh, here it is. So in week one, he played 77 snaps. Mm-hmm. In week two, he played 41. That is a massive drop off week to week, and that def- I, that sent alarm bells ringing for me. And again, I like Stefan Cobbs. I've met him. I did the interview with him over the summer and everything. I really hope he turns it around here. But as of right now, there's no way I'm putting him in any of my starting lineups right now. And if and if really if he does have another terrible week here, there's no way I'm keeping him on my roster for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, there's there, I mean there's definitely a chance he bounces back, but I mean we're we're kind of have to see something that we have not seen in in the first two weeks of the season as far as what that offense is going to look like because they're, they're kind of a mess right now.
0: Yeah. All right, next guy up here. This is a guy that you and I were both on, pretty high on during the season. Nate, Mr. Jeff Foreman, wide receiver out of Arkansas State. And he, so far this year in the first two games, has recorded one reception for five yards. This was a man... Who, if I can pull up the ADP real quick, was going as a wide receiver, seventy-six. We had him ranked higher than that. All indications said that he was the dude throughout spring and a little bit into fall camp. This was going to be the, his, this this was going to be his year. And here we are, two games in, one reception for five yards. Nate, where are we going at here? I imagine this is probably ten.
1: Yeah, God, this is so disappointing. This is somebody that I. Uh, unlike Cobbs, I did invest a lot in. I, I got a lot of shares of Jeff Foreman. Uh yeah, he's a 10. Drop that fool. Um the 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 disappointing thing here is is that Travellis Hunt hasn't been playing. Yeah. And yet he still has mustered up three targets in two games. And this is an offense that throws the ball all over the field. Mm-hmm. And Champ Fleming's transferred in this year and has just stolen the show from him. And he's and what's crazy is is he's I, I had to check the snap count. I'm like, okay, maybe he's not getting any run. Nope he's he's the second most. He's got the second most snaps of any of the wide receivers through two games. So he's yep. out there. Jeff, uh, Jeff, um, gosh, what's the what's the quarterback again? The Florida State transfer, James Blackman. James Blackman. I want to call him Jeff Sims. Um, James <laughs> <laughs> James Blackman um which is fascinating by the way james blackman actually carries more fantasy value today than jeff sims uh, just kind of caveat there but um james blackman targeted this guy like crazy in the spring game he had like 180 yards and three touchdowns in the spring game so i'm like all right here we go it's time it's time for jeff foreman to cook you know and nope Nope. it's it's not him dropping
0: drop him i agree this is this is if he if he blows up later this season Just good process, bad results. Yep. Next one up here, this one is a guy I invested so heavily in this offseason. That is Zach Kuntz, the tight end out of Old Dominion. So far, through two games, this is a guy that had over 100 targets last year, two receptions for 12 yards, and in this past weekend, a big, fat goose egg. I talked to Justice, who is our IDP specialist here at C2C, as well as an old dominion fan himself and i asked him like yo what's going on here like and he said the offense has no identity and teams are doubling zach coons and he can't get past it so nate where are we on this one what scale of one to ten what's the freakout scale say about mr zach coons
1: i'd put him at a six okay i'm i'm, I'm certainly you know you've if you have Zach Koontz on your roster this year, you invested too much in order to, to drop him at this point. There's probably some better options that you could look at to start now. So he's kind of in that range of, okay, I'm really concerned to the point where I'm, I'm probably benching. But at the same time, he does, you know, like you mentioned, he had 111 targets last year. So he's he's got potential to blow up any given week. I think the thing that concerns me most about him is he's got 11 targets this year through two games, which is fine for a tight end. It's, it's a little bit below the pace where he was at last year, but only two catches and 12 yards. I went back and looked at his his um, stats from last year, and yeah, he had 111 targets. He was incredibly inefficient. Mm-hmm. He Even though he had all those targets, he only averaged 6.1 yards per target. And to put that into perspective, Brock Bowers, who obviously had an incredible year, yards per target for Brock Bowers. He was twice as effective, twice as efficient as Zach Coons was last year. So my concern is, is that his value this year was baked in. Like we had the idea that, okay, he's going to get this volume. So that's kind of baked into where we were drafting him. And he's just not being efficient with the volume that he gets.
0: Yeah. Again, you, you said it yourself, 11 targets, but only two catches out of it. Again, there, there's the double team factor right there. He can't overcome it. And if that's going to continue, it doesn't matter how many balls come his way if he's not going to be able to catch it. So it's definitely frustrating for guys like me where, again, Koontz often was the fourth tight end off the board. And I was very straightforward about the fact that, like, whoever's the last out of the top t- top four tight ends, if they're available to me, I will go and grab them, which made me get a lot of Koontz and a lot of Michael Trigg this year. We'll talk about him in a second. But, again, Michael Trigg, awesome week this week. But, anyway, um But again, you're right. This was a tight end four in ADP this year. This was a guy that was going near the end of the fifth round. Like again, it's hard to want to drop him. I'm with you. I'm fully on bench him right now if you have another option on your roster. I'd say probably start him one more week if you really just don't have any better options for your team.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. All
0: right. Moving on to the next guy here. Quentin Johnson. Wide receiver out of TCU, this guy, this was a man who was going as the wide receiver 12 this year in ADP, he was a mid to late third rounder for the most part, and we thought he was going to blow up this year with the Sunny Dykes offense, they made it clear that they were going to want to use him, no evidence of that so far this year though, five receptions for 44 yards, zero touchdowns, and this is not coming against terrible or this is not coming against good competition this is coming up against colorado and somewhere called tarleton state so <laughs> it's the like,
1: juggernaut that is tarleton state. the
0: juggernaut that is tarleton state nate one to ten like what are we doing here with quentin johnson this
1: is this is bad yeah you could we could have the same conversation every year with quentin johnson i feel like um man he is an enigma for sure Uh, I kind of got him in that same range that I had Coons. Um, I'm probably in that five to six range. This is my wide receiver two coming into the season. So it's, I'm not giving up on him yet. I thought that Dykes would be a great hire, obviously from, from the system they had before. I thought that having, um, you know, having the QB change week one would have been great. That didn't work out. And then Dykes comes out and says, okay, our plan now is to get Quentin Johnston more opportunity week two comes around. They got a new QB again, still not more opportunity. So it's, it's certainly frustrating. The thing you run into with Quentin Johnston is I guarantee you, as soon as you bench him, yep, he will go right. 40. One one fifty, and, and three touchdowns because that's what Quentin Johnston does. You, you either have to get rid of him altogether, either trade him or do something to get him off your hands. Or you have to start him every damn week because he he you can't do the yo-yo thing with him and no. he, you will you will be on the losing end. It's impossible to guess when he's gonna blow up. So okay. uh, have a backup plan, trade him, see if there's any value left. Um, but if you bench him, you're gonna regret it.
0: Yeah, pretty much. He, he he is the he's the wide receiver version of Adrian Martinez, where it's like every time I started Adrian Martinez, he would get me like 10 points. Yes. And the week that I would bench him, that would be the one he'd go off for like 35, 40 fantasy points.
1: Perfect analogy. And and it also isn't the competition level makes no difference. Yeah. He'll do it against like a, he'll do it against Baylor or he'll do it against Oklahoma yep. and then he'll suck against Kansas or something like that. You. you just never know.
0: Exactly, it, it, it is truly an enigma. So again, I agree with you. Five six range feels pretty good for him. Not dropping him yet, but man, it, it's it's tough to believe in him moving forward if he can't do it against the, that kind of competition. Another wide receiver here, Keishon Butte, wide receiver out of LSU. Through two games. Seven receptions, 62 yards. This this man was going as the wide receiver. Where are you? Uh, wide receiver nine this offseason in CFF ADP. A lot of investment put into this guy. He, at one point, a lot of people considered him a pretty good deal in the third round because when the season first started, he was yeah. going in like the first round. Then the rumors started coming that he might not play. Now he is playing, but man, it ain't looking good. So Nate, where are we with Kaishawn Butte, scale of one to 10 i
1: We've got him in a seven. He's got to be on your bench. We, you know, we talked about all the red flags surrounding him before this season and and warned people, hey, if you if you invest in in Butte, it it may not go well for you. And we're starting to see some of that. That there's there's clearly a a, a effort issue there's issues with the coaching there's not a great quarterback situation so i mean eventually they're going to be playing better competition in the sec they're going to have to throw the ball around more but man it, it would not shock me if mid-october we're talking about him having a small injury and we don't see any more of butte before the, you know as the season goes on so yeah yeah wink, I'm, I'm definitely wink, i'm wink. definitely benching right yeah wink wink he's he's done for the year.
0: Yeah no I am uh, I am very much interested or not interested in I actually I don't think I have a single share of Butte. I don't know. Year. I, I don't think I invested in him once. Maybe one best ball if he fell to like the fourth or fifth round, I might have taken the shot on it. But like I I'm I'm very much glad I I am off this train.
1: Right. So let's move on and to it, oh God. Uh, I was just gonna say and I don't know that if there is a QB. I thought maybe okay maybe if Nussmeier comes in. That'll fix it, and he'll have a, a better passing quarterback. Boy, Nussmeyer looked rough yesterday. Two, yep. two, two picks in their game versus, I don't even remember who they were playing, some some scrub team. Uh,
0: they were playing, uh, I think it's just Southeastern University. Yeah, boy. Yeah, th- those guys.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> All righty. Let's talk about our last wide receiver here. This one I feel like is going to end up on the lower range of the freakout scale, but I thought people were probably going to bring him up because of – the Quinn Ewers injury, as well as the fact that, again, he hasn't gotten a touchdown yet, but Xavier Worthy, wide receiver to Texas, seven receptions, 121 yards, no touchdowns. And he is he was the wide receiver three for ADP this offseason. Definitely not the way you wanted to start off this season. You definitely would have hoped he would have had a blow-up game at least in one of these two weeks right here. Again, honestly, he probably had a better week last week against Bama than he did against... Uh, uh, God, who text you uh, on Monroe the week before, yeah. but Nate, where are, we at? where are we, where are we
1: with Xavier worthy? I'm not, I'm not real concerned here. I would put him probably at a two. Okay. I'm starting, I'm starting to kind of monitor the situation. Yeah. Obviously Hudson card is not as good of a passer as Quinn as We saw that yesterday for sure, mm-hmm. but who else is he going to throw the ball to? Casey Kane. I mean, this, this is, He's still going to get a ton of targets. They still have to play offenses like Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, West Virginia, TCU, Texas tech. I mean, they're, they're going to have to, he's even if yours is out for quite a while, they're still going to have to throw the ball. So man, he, he dropped a touchdown pass. Uh, Otherwise we're probably not having this conversation everybody's probably fine with, you know, 13 points against uh, Alabama, but he's got to step it up. He can't, he's, he's had, he's had a drop issue and that's, that's a problem. So.
0: Yeah, and I'm not worried about the uh, QB conversation with this and everything. Like, again, he had Casey yeah. Thompson and Hudson Carr thrown to him last year. He was still very right. productive in several different games. No problem with Hudson Carr kind of moving forward. Like you said, who else is he going to throw to you? He's, Worthy's the best offensive player they have outside not named B. John Robinson. So right. he's going to get involved in the offense moving forward. I'm not worried about this whatsoever. Last player we're going to talk about here. We're going to move on to our only running back here. But I saw several people talking about this in the discords. Some people talking about it on Twitter. So let's talk about it here. Kamar Wheaton, running back out of SMU. So far this season, he has had six total rushes for 41 yards. So he's been efficient, but very limited touches. And during the offseason, he was going as the RB24. So Nate scale of 1 to 10, what's the freakout scale say about Kamar Wheaton right now cuz this is definitely not a great start for somebody that had a ton of upside.
1: Right. I probably have him I would, I would say maybe a 9. And we're talking obviously oh, redraft wow. here. The the really weird thing is is that all those all those uh, yards that he had, the the 6 for 41 or whatever, that was week 1. I was looking at the stat line, he did not play at all week 2 and Surprisingly, Trey Siggers did not play either. It was just, and I, I tried to research, no word whatsoever what happened. To Trey Siggers, I guess he got dinged up in Week One. Um, maybe Kamar reaggravated the the knee issue he's been having, so and that set him back. But obviously, it's concerning that he got zero carries in in Week Two. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a if you're in a redraft league, we're we're getting pretty close to the point where you can just go ahead and drop him. I still think there's a chance he ends up being the RB one there at some point this season, but there's too many too many fish in the sea to sit around and wait for him and and him clog up your roster.
0: I agree. Like, we're gonna get into some of these waiver wires guys here in a minute, but there's plenty of guys you can go out there grab have much better production week in and week out than waiting for the upside that might come with Wheaton because. We don't even know if Wheaton gets that kind of volume, if he'll be as productive as we want him to be. So yeah. we'll definitely see. Let's go ahead and get into some of these waiver wires. We got four quarterbacks, five running backs, five wide receivers, and three tight ends to talk about today. So we're going to get through these as quickly as we can, but pretty much almost a full slate of waiver wire pickups for you guys today. Nate uh, did a great job this morning helping, helping, or both of us kind of going around and trying to find some of these guys in. Some good value out there right now. So let's talk about it here. First quarterback we're going to talk about. Kyle Trees, quarterback out of Georgia Southern. I and Chris Moxley mentioned earlier in the offseason that Georgia Southern was a very sneaky offense to kind of invest into this offseason because pretty much every piece was for free. Jalen White, the running back. Kyle Trees here, the quarterback at Georgia Southern. Uh, Derwin Burgess and Jeremy Singleton both Uh, top wide receiver options now Caleb Hood as well looks like a good receiving option for them they are passing the ball a ton down in Statesboro Georgia week one Trees threw 46 times and scored four touchdowns and then week two against Nebraska he didn't get the touchdowns he only got one touchdown through the air he had a rushing touchdown as well but he's not really much of a dual threat But he threw 56 times in the game against Nebraska. Now, granted, it was a shootout. But even still, they're not afraid to throw the ball a ton in this offense. This staff comes from the same tree that bloomed the Western Kentucky Kittley system. This is a system I think we need to invest more into going into the season. If you're struggling at quarterback, I see no reason why not to go grab a guy with a ton of volume like Kyle Trees here. Nate, what's your thoughts on Mr. Trees?
1: Yeah, I think he's a pretty good waiver pickup. I'll, I'll fully admit I was a little slow to hop on on this Georgia Southern train, and boy, they have put up some monster passing numbers through a couple of weeks, like you mentioned. And here's here's kind of the beauty of their situation too. Nebraska was that tough non-conference game, and they just put up forty-five on them in Lincoln. Their only other non their only other non-conference competition is UAB and Ball State, and then they hop into the Sun Belt, and so it's like okay. There's really not a whole lot that's going to slow them down. It was the same conversation we had about Todd Santeo last week with James yep. Madison. I mean, <laughs> the schedule sets up really nice for them to continue to chuck it around the field and, and not have a whole lot of, uh, uh, of pushback from the defense. So, yeah, I, I think wheels are definitely way up for him.
0: Yeah. And again, like this is probably not somebody that I would pick up and expect to be your guy moving forward, but I think he has that upside certainly. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about a more interesting one here. Max Duggan, quarterback out of TCU. We debated putting this one on because we didn't know if he was like available in enough leagues. But even still, like with everybody moving more towards Chandler Morris right before the season started, I imagine enough people dropped Duggan here. But he is now the starting quarterback out of TCU with Chandler Morris just banged up and injured. Is this totally just a system play here, Nate? Do we just expect him to thrive under the um sunny dyke system or is there something a little more to this
1: there's definitely a chance of fool's gold here with him coming in for injured chandler morrison i don't know he put up what like 350 and five sorry i didn't have the stats right in front of me but i'm pretty sure it was right around that uh
0: in the colorado game he threw three times for 27 yards but then in tarleton state he threw 29 times for 390 yards and five touchdowns, yes.
1: 390 and five. Yeah, so I mean, obviously there's a chance of fool's gold here. You don't get to play Tarleton State all the time. So um I, I was kind of thinking about this, and this situation reminded me a lot, potentially. Best case scenario for Duggan here is what happened with Hinden Hooker last year. Okay. And that the new staff comes in, takes a look at two quarterbacks, one that has proven to be really um, productive, mm-hmm. but... Not not great at times, and decides to go with the other guy because they think they've got more upside. And then week one is a total disaster. I mean, Chandler Morris looked awful against yeah. Colorado, and then all of a sudden the backup comes in and looks great. And maybe he kind of wally pips Chandler Morris and runs with this job. I I wouldn't wait. You know, I wouldn't blow a whole bunch of of my my waiver budget on Max Duggan, but you are, if he wins this job and runs with it for the season and starts looking pretty good, I mean, they have a bye week next week. So you have to wait a little bit, but yes. if, if he gets it going, we are still talking about a system that has produced top 10 fantasy quarterbacks year in year out under Sonny Dykes. So there is, there is a, a high upside with a really low floor potential here in this pickup.
0: Yeah. And adding the fact that Duggan is known to run the ball as well. I think there definitely is a ton of upside with this pick. but I agree with you 100% Nate. Don't throw a ton of your resources towards this one. If you have a really good quarterback room, no reason to rush out and grab in for any kind of potential upside here. This is the one I'm a little bit more cautious on, but yeah. all the system and everything points his way. He's got the experience as a starting quarterback. I think can definitely help you guys out a little
1: bit. You know what's fun about when, when TCU does come back week four? Do you know who they play? Who do they play? SMU. Sonny Dyke's going up against his old yes. his, his old team across town. So Battle. that'll be. Battle that'll for the be. iron skillet. Let's go. So there's, if if Duggan does start, I mean, there's big time potential there because SMU is not really great at defense, and he's going to want to stick it to him because the, he's got a lot of fans.
0: Dude, that, that really entire the game out. could be just an absolute, like, shootout because they're just going to be throwing everything they got at each other. Yeah, no doubt. All righty. Moving over to another Big 12 school here. I threw this on here. I wasn't sure if he would technically be low enough rostered for us to really talk about him here, but I just kind of made a guess and said he is. But we're going to talk about JT Daniels here, quarterback out of West Virginia. This is a guy that was going very late in drafts, if not undrafted in a lot of different leagues. A lot of people were kind of off of him because they were afraid the moment that he got hit, he was going to shatter like your favorite, your mom's favorite vase, and that he would. Just be out really early on the season. Didn't want to invest too much into it. But here we are two games later. 40 passing attempts in both of his games. Hit over 350 yards in the game against Kansas. Uh, Multiple touchdowns in both games. Clearly going to throw the ball a ton. Clearly going to be in some shootouts. Because good God, if you get in a shootout with Kansas, you're going to get in a shootout with pretty much Mm -hmm. anybody. So he's going to have to score. I think JT Daniels, if he is available in your league, 100% 100% worth picking up and is a very safe option, a quarterback week in and week out, in my opinion. What do you think, Nate?
1: Yeah. JT Daniels should be owned in every format. If he's, if he's somehow available in your league, you, you need to scoop him up. Um, West, I mean, it's a Graham Harrell quarterback. West Virginia is going to give up a ton of points. This is the perfect scenario.
0: Yep. Not, not too much really else to say there. Yep. Let's talk about the last quarterback here. Quinn Ewers goes down. Might as well talk about the guy who's going to replace him. That's Hudson Card, quarterback out of Texas. And I'm not the biggest believer in Hudson Card, but it is a Steve Sarkeesian offense at the end of the day. This is a offense that runs very efficiently. It is going to require the quarterback to make some plays, make some throws down the field. And if Hudson Card, like reports say, was the guy that Steve Sarkeesian wanted to move forward with to start the season... There could be some potential upside here in terms of how well Hudson Card knows this system and how well he's able to execute it. So I say a cautious pick him up, throw him on your bench, see how he does over the next couple of weeks. Nate, what are your thoughts on him?
1: Yeah, I agree. And he's not great. He's serviceable. You may just be looking at four to six weeks probably, and then he loses his job back to Quinn Ewers. He's going to have to really look good in order to take that job from Quinn Ewers. But similar to Duggan, it's a nice offense. He's he's got Xavier Worthy and Bijan there to throw the ball to, so there's potential for for him to uh, be worth an ad here. But he's definitely not in that same category as JT Daniels or Van yeah. Treese, you know. So um, cautiously. You know maybe make a play for him if you're a really dire quarterback
0: yeah again some upside there but i'm not super sold on it right Uh quick honorable mention for quarterbacks here i'm going to throw out Nikosi perry quarterback at a florida atlantic 230 ish point games this past week in terms of if you have four point passing touchdowns i am hesitant to say that it's something i expect out of him the rest of the season i think it was very matchup based but Again, they play in the... Or no, FAU's C uh, CUSA, right?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: So they, they play in CUSA. Going to have some good, plenty of good matchups. He could be somebody you're kind of t- keeping an eye on and seeing if he can produce week in and week out. Only thing that kind of helped me back is the week one performance. He only threw 20 times. It was just very, very good in terms of his average. So let's go on to running backs here. First one up here. Ladavian Webb running back out of South Alabama. Talk about consistency right here. in both weeks he has had 18 plus attempts, 90 plus yards, two touchdowns in both weeks, two receptions in both weeks, and no recep- no receiving touchdowns there. But again, consistent, consistent, consistent against two different opponents, Nichols and Central Michigan. So even in a step up in competition, he still performed pretty well. This schedule sets up really, really nicely for LeDamian Webb down the line. They play UC, or UCLA this upcoming week. I probably wouldn't start him in that one, but even then UCLA gave up points to Bowling Green. So I, I probably would consider that as well. But then, like Nate said, they play in the Sun Belt. None of these defenses scare me. Louisiana Tech, Louisiana, UL Monroe, Troy, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, Texas State, Southern Miss, Old Dominion. Where is the non-start in that lineup? I don't see one. And if you're going to give me a guy that gets 18 to 20, carries week in and week out, and maybe earns more as the season goes along, I'm fully bought into the Webb there at South Alabama. Nate, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I hope
1: this is a guy that people picked up after last week, we mentioned him as one of our honorable mentions. So, and he followed that up with another great performance. He was somebody that I really wanted to invest in prior to the season, but I got scared because there was a foot injury in fall Mm -hmm. camp and he was really limited. And I was like, gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to risk it there, but man, it is clear that this staff thinks he's head and shoulders above the next closest running back. So yeah, he's, he's got a chance to have a really, really nice season. I think, a uh, thousand yards and ten TDs is well within his range and probably his floor.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, you you just want guys that monopolize the backfield like this, mm-hmm. and Webb is certainly separated from everybody else on that offense right now. So fully yep. bought into him. Let's talk about our next one here, Henry Parrish running back in Miami. I have to eat a little bit of crow here. I was fully convinced that Parrish's season or week one performance where he had 14 carries 108 yards three touchdowns that was fully because Jalen Knighton was not playing and that he no way that he was going to be that top running back option throughout the whole season is going to be too split not gonna be able to start on week to week then he follows it up last week with Jalen Knighton playing with even more carries 23 carries last week for 109 yards and a touchdown as well as three receptions through the air I Again, I'm eating a little bit of crow on here because, again, if there is a Miami running back that can separate themselves, which it looks like that Parrish is doing at the moment, I think it's absolutely worth picking up and just sash you on your roster to monitor over the next couple of weeks. Nate, what do you think about Parrish here?
1: I think this this week's game is going to tell us a lot because they go uh, and play texas a and i A&M. I'm not sure where that game is, but they have Texas A&M this week. so. The staff's going to run with the guy that they think gives them the best chance to win that game. So that'll that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. We could have just as easily discussed Rooster Nighton uh, on the um, the freakout scale. You know, yeah. a lot of people a lot of people invested in in him and kind of that round, you know, eight to twelve range uh, before the season started. So, you know, this is a good example of when a new staff comes in, you sometimes don't know what you're going to get with a the room. They Nighton was was pretty good fantasy wise last year in in taking over that backfield due to injuries, but that doesn't mean this new staff likes him that much. And they brought Henry Parrish, um, you know, the running backs coaches from Ole Miss and he brought Parrish with him. And so they clearly like this guy quite a bit, surprisingly enough. I, I, I would not have guessed this three weeks ago, but he's definitely worth an ad at this point.
0: Yeah. Again, I, I, I was a little hesitant at first, but again, just, The fact that Knighton came back and he added more volume than he did the week before tells me that he's earning more carries, whether it be in practice or in the game. Definitely somebody that if he's available, I'm going to grab him, hold him on my roster and definitely, definitely worth more than some of the running backs I invested in at the end of a lot of my drafts. No doubt. Let's we'll talk about this next one. Nate, I'll let you take over this one because I've been very mean to you and not let you speak first on some of these guys today. So <laughs> we'll talk about Taj Brooks here running back out of Texas Tech. Nate, what do we love so much about Taj Brooks and what we're bringing from him from Texas Tech?
1: I really like Taj Brooks' game, man. I, I thought he was great last year. I thought that it, it made no sense to me that he was basically 50-50 with Sarotic Thompson. I thought he was clearly the better player And it looks like um, Kitley and the new staff over there at Texas tech saw some of the same things that I was seeing. Uh, I think he had 23 touches yesterday as compared to nine for Thompson. And it's, I mean, obviously the the game script, you know, pass rate that the the neutral game script passing that Kitley has is always going to be very high in favor of passing the ball. But they are around the goal line a lot. There is scoring opportunities and, and we're seeing that. this guy's I mean he is, he has been a touchdown machine through the first couple of weeks of the season here. So yeah. um, it's probably not something you can bank on every week, but I do think that there is um, there is some value in him and that he can certainly um, you know you can pick your spots with him and I think he can be pretty productive.
0: Well, it's kind of like how you mentioned with Parrish just a second ago, There are certain games along each team's schedule that truly show you who are their go-to guys. Who, When when the going gets tough, who are they going to? I don't know if you watched this Texas Tech-Houston game last week. It was a tough game for Texas Tech. It was a back-and-forth affair. A lot of great plays being made all the time. Go watch it if you haven't already. But here we are. Like you said, Brooks got 23 touches in that game compared to To Thompson, who only had nine, and that is a step up from what they gave him against Murray State the week before. I think Brooks is earning more touches as the weeks go on, and the fact that he can also catch out of the backfield is huge because it allows them to keep throwing the ball as much as they want, but now they have an an additional receiver out there, a receiving option out there they can rely on out of the backfield. I'm very, very bullish on Taj Brooks moving forward, so I think this is a great call here, Nate all right this next one's interesting i pray to god the start of his era at penn state has begun but we're going to talk about running back nicholas singleton out of penn state this past week had 10 carries for 179 yards and two touchdowns just absolute monster performance from him the volume isn't there yet but he was by far the best running back that penn state was throwing out there yesterday against a very inferior opponent katron allen looked good as well but he did not have nearly the performance that singleton did nate what do we think about singleton moving forward here is he somebody to pick up and just expect him to earn more carries as the weeks kind of go on or are we jumping the gun a little bit here after a really really good performance
1: he doesn't get to face Ohio every week, clearly. He's you yes. know, I mean, he's, he's going to be up against Big Ten competition here before too long. But this is exactly what you want to see when you have a blue chip, five-star stud freshman running back. You want to see that early season pop where he just forces the coach's hand and says, hey, I'm by far the, the man in this room and make me your workhorse. And that's exactly what happened this past Saturday props to John Lobb for investing is so much into, I mean, we, you know, we were like, gosh, man, John's really taking Nick Singleton early in a lot of Mm -hmm. these drafts, but dude, it might actually pay off for him big time because clearly the talent is there. You just want that opportunity. And he's, he's forcing the coach's hand right now. If that offensive line can keep it together. I think there's a chance that they, that they really rely on him as, as the focal point of their offense.
0: I invested heavily in Singleton in Dynasty drafts this offseason. Yeah. I took him as the first freshman in several in and two of my drafts. So I have him on two of my Dynasty rosters. And I'm not going to lie, as the season approached, I was not regretting it because I still expected him to be a stud at some point. But I was like, yeah. man, I could have gone like a guy like Luther Burden right. who was going to play immediately, be the focal point immediately instead of Singleton. But... After Burden's, I'd say, relatively lackluster performance last week and Singleton just popping against very terrible competition early, I'm a bit more hopeful now that oh, yeah. my investment in Singleton is going to pay off really, really early here. Like you said, we were kind of hoping that he might have that Young moment really early on here where he just makes big plays, clearly mm-hmm. shows he's better than everybody else. I think we got it yesterday. I really, really hope. It is now the
1: Singleton era
0: for the next three years at Penn State.
1: It has to be. Let him let him loose, Franklin. Don't keep him bottled up.
0: Who does Penn State play next? I need to look up their schedule. Penn State it. plays. Trying to keep us going here. Let's see. They play Auburn next. If he, hmm. if there is a game for him to make a statement in and right. perform well against, that is it right there. Then they play Central Michigan and Northwestern. They got a couple they got a they got a couple good matchups there. I think he could definitely definitely make some statements in. No doubt. All right. Last but not least here, I know it's a crime to mention the fact that a Georgia <laughs> player could be a fantasy option here. But we can't ignore what Kenny McIntosh is doing at Georgia right now. I've been a big Kendall Milton fan this entire offseason. I still am. I still think he is the best between the tackles runner that Georgia has. And we'll definitely see that as the season kind of goes along here. But we aren't here for Kenny McIntosh's ability to run between the tackles. We're here because he is the leading receiver for Georgia this year. And in both of his games, or the first game, nine catches for 117 yards. And in the second game, five catches for 61, scored a touchdown on the ground in both of them, so they're clearly not afraid to use them around the goal line because of his speed. In a PPR format, I think Kenny McIntosh is a a must-must-grab right now because if you're going to get that volume of catching out of a back uh, out of a running back from a team that historically is not passed a ton is passing more this year but again th- like this is this is kind of an anomaly right what do you think
1: Nate yeah i mean we you and i have certainly debated over you know between mcintosh and and milton over the last few months on on the slack um threads but you yeah you have to add him at this point he he clearly has assumed this James Cook role except for I think the difference is is that he's he's twenty pounds bigger a, that's what I was going to say he's maybe even better uh, running the ball you know between tackles than, than James Cook and and we haven't seen Milton prove that he's capable of taking on the load that Zeus White had you know what I mean so and we're we're one hamstring pull from Kendall Milton away from this guy assuming the lead back role with that receiving ability, which is a really fun idea because, um, because Monken has, has proven during his time at Oklahoma state that he can really feature a running back Mm -hmm. and especially one that catches the ball well out of the backfield. So uh, we saw that with, uh, with Randall over at Oklahoma state years ago and boy, he put up monster years. So yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that there's um, you know, you're right now, you're probably not looking at, many like 25 point ceiling weeks, but I think he's going to consistently get you in that 12 to 17 range where he's, he's a, a very viable option week to week.
0: Yeah. And again, just go back and watch the film from Kenny McIntosh the last couple of weeks. Malkin has been an absolute genius in the way that he has been utilizing Kenny McIntosh as a receiving threat. Every pass that has gone McIntosh's way for the most part, McIntosh is wide open. Like he has schemed well away from all the defenders, just, Again, I fully expect Georgia to keep doing this and that McIntosh, absolutely, especially in a PPR format, going to be an option for you guys moving forward. So that's the last of our running backs. A couple of quick honorable mentions here. Nate and I were pushing the faith on the UNC backfield, but Amari and Hampton looking pretty good at UNC. Again, it was looking a little rough this past week, but then he broke off another big one. And I believe DJ, DJ Jones is injured as well now. Um, George Petaway did not get a ton of run in that game either. It looks like things are just kind of working out for Hampton to be the, the main
1: back moving forward regardless. Yeah. Did Jones get hurt yesterday? I think I
0: did. I, I, I could have sworn I heard something about him okay. getting banged up.
1: Okay. Yeah. Boy, gosh, that that backfield is it all that's going to be left of the two freshmen. Exactly. <laughs> hood's out. Uh, Brooks done for the year. Yeah. So, man. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, I want somebody to separate there at UNC clearly it's it's a it's a high octane offense, but they just keep so far they've been spreading it around. It a, a couple, very couple touchdowns, yeah, a couple touchdowns yesterday uh, certainly make um, Hampton look like the the one to own there.
0: Absolutely. and then the other honorable mention we're going to throw out here. if Tay McWilliams is out for an extended period of time at Baylor, Wallen Jones running back there at Baylor is going to be a very interesting option. definitely be on the lookout for any kind of injury news regarding Tay McWilliams this week. If he is out for an extended period of time, I could see Qualen Jones taking over that main back role there at Baylor, and that has been a very productive system for running backs in the past for CFF, so absolutely keep an eye out for that. Let's go to the wide receivers here. We will not spend too long on this first one because we kind of talked about him earlier a little bit, but Champ Fleming's a wide receiver out of Arkansas State past two weeks. Seven receptions for 122 yards and a touchdown against Grambling. And then last week against Ohio State, 10 receptions, 105 yards. No touchdowns because Ohio State was not sharing their end zone very well. <laughs> but regardless, that's a volume you want to see in a high-passing offense. Clearly number one guy here at Arkansas State, Champ Flemings. Is there really anything else for really you to say here, Nate? Because why does he Arkansas State in that system? Somebody you want to own.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating that that Blackman has zeroed in on his his slot receiver and not one of the outside guys to be his wide receiver one. The fun the fun fact with Champ Fleming is here. He's got 17 catches through two games. He's been targeted 17 times. He has caught every single ball that's been thrown his way. Got to love So, it. yeah, so I mean if you're James Blackman, you're going to continue to feed that guy. He 100% catch rate. So keep going to him. So um, yeah, I mean it, this is this is a big time uh, waiver move for sure.
0: I agree. Let's talk about a guy that we could have talked about last week, but I kind of want to see one more week just to make sure it wasn't a fluke. Not a great performance this past week against Idaho. Only caught four balls for 43 yards. But as we'll mention here, he still had the passing volume come his way. This is Cam Camper, wide receiver out of Indiana. I don't think any of us were really talking about Indiana as a CFF system really before the season got started. But Connor Bazelak comes in at quarterback. He, he's looking pretty good over there at Indiana. They can't run the ball worth a damn. And now that kind of forces them to pass. And Cam Camper has been the guy that kind of really stepped up over there. Uh, the week before last against Illinois, he had 11 catches, 156 yards. No touchdowns yet. But you have to believe with a guy that has this much volume, those are going to come. So Nate, any more any thoughts really on Cam Camper here out of Indiana?
1: The number one thing you look at when it comes to fantasy wide receivers is, is opportunity and volume and target targets are the best measure of that. He had 17 targets in week one, even though he just had four catches in week two, he had 11 more targets, mm-hmm. which was um, eight more than the next closest wide receiver there at yep. Indiana. So clearly he is the favorite target option for, for Basilac and the, the scoring opportunities will come in time. There's no doubt. If you continue to get 14 targets per game, you will score touchdowns. It's coming.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I'm looking at Indiana's schedule. There's some good matchups in terms of just the amount of points they'll score. But even still, when it comes to wide receivers, the game script's going to favor them even if they're in a relatively bad matchup because Indiana's going to have to throw the ball. Now, granted, they might have to throw the ball every time because Sean Shivers isn't doing anything. But... Regardless, like I think there's very few weeks kind of looking forward here that you aren't wanting to start Cam Camper. Michigan, October 8th, might be a bad one. Yep. Ohio State in November 12th. But even against Penn State and Michigan State, if he's going to get that level of volume, I feel pretty good about that. Totally agree, yeah. All right, next one here, Caleb Ducking. Nate, you and I are, are CFF systems guys. This felt like one that we should have been all over because Caleb Ducking plays the Z role at Mississippi State. And yet I was, at least I was pretty hesitant to believe that he would be the guy at Mississippi State this year uh, because Jaden Wally was still there. I was a big believer in Austin Williams. Austin Williams had a pretty good day as well yesterday, but it is Ducking who is getting the targets and he is increasing his role week after week. Week one, three receptions, 73 yards and a touchdown. Yesterday against Arizona, seven receptions, 58 yards and two touchdowns. So clearly a guy that Will Rogers is getting very comfortable with very quickly. What do you think about ducking here at Mississippi state?
1: I mean, they spread the ball around a lot there at Mississippi state, but like you mentioned that Z receiver position is just so valuable for fantasy. It's what um, Malachi Polk played last year. It is what a a lot of the high uh, volume receivers at Washington state played when Leach was there. So even though it's a, a fifth-year senior that we know very little about and has proven nothing during his time at Mississippi State, you still have to just acknowledge the fact that he's, he's in that primary spot. So, yeah, I think that this is um, – last night was a good indicator of kind of what you're going to get throughout the season. He may not be a guy that gets you 150 yards, but he's going to be targeted uh, the most and, and has a really, really good opportunity there. Yeah, again, like I said, I was hesitant
0: to believe he would be the guy that kind of breaks out of here, but he's producing like a Z at Mississippi State should. So at two games in, I have no reason to believe that that's going to change anytime soon. Now, Leach is known for kind of shifting favored wide receivers as the season kind of goes along. So absolutely be on the lookout for that. See if anybody else kind of steps up there. But we'll, we'll definitely see, as for now, somebody to pick up if he's available in your league. All right. Next wide receiver here, Antoine Wells, Jr., wide receiver out of South Carolina, the leading receiver from James Madison last year, just an absolutely monster season with them. He transferred over to the very popular transfer destination that was the South Carolina Gamecocks so far this season. First game, seven receptions, 55 yards, no touchdowns, still great volume there. And he followed it up the next week against Arkansas, eight receptions, 189 yards, and a touchdown so he's clearly getting the volume clearly able to make some really really big plays for Spencer Rattler I'm not a huge fan of Spencer Rattler I don't think he's looked particularly good this year so far but Antoine Wells Jr. seems like a great bailout options for him and so far this year Antoine has seen 18 targets for this South Carolina offense I'm very much interested in Antoine Wells Jr. moving forward if he is available in your league Nate what do you think about
1: him? He's somebody that I thought was making a, a bad decision by going to South Carolina. I just wasn't sure what to expect from this offense. And then, of course, Corey Rucker also comes over. So I'm, I'm interested to see what the receiver room and, and how the targets work themselves out once Corey Rucker's back. He's supposed to be back in the next week or two. Um, this is This is one of those moves, kind of like we've talked about before, where I'm a little hesitant to believe kind of what, what we saw on Saturday. Keep in mind, they also played Georgia next weekend. Okay. Yeah. So, so don't expect much. You're not going to be able to start him for a week. It's essentially a bye week when Georgia's on the schedule. Um, but they have Charlotte and South Carolina state coming on after that. So there's opportunity there. If you want to get ahead of, of your league mates, you might add him now and, um, and then just know that you're going to sit him for a week. But, um, He's a talented player. Chris Moxley was hyping him up, saying he was going to be the wide receiver one in this room, and and sure enough, he he definitely is.
0: I mean, I want to say it's a full buy because last year Josh Van uh, caught 128 yards and a touchdown against Georgia last year. So yeah. maybe uh, yeah. not, okay. I, I, it, that feels like bad advice. Don't do it, y'all. Don't do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Start him, start him in your leagues if you're playing me for sure. Go for it.
0: <laughs> <Exactly>. um, <laughs> I'm interested, still, because, like you said. The reports out of camp have been very clear. Wells has been the most impressive receiver for them. I have not really heard the same out of Rucker. Now, granted, Rucker has been banged up. He hasn't really been out there. But even still, Rucker, to me, felt like the even bigger mistake out of those two going to South Carolina. He knew there was already some established options there. Josh Van Jalen Brooks has looked really good for South Carolina so far. I think it's going to be harder for... uh, Rucker to break his way into the full uh starting three receivers and we're kind of initially giving credit for here. I'm not worried about him with Wells whatsoever. I think Wells is gonna continue to smash except against Georgia. Don't play anybody against Georgia.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of the situation there at South Carolina.
0: All right. Last but not least, Keelan Stokes, wide receiver out of Tulsa, he was a big disappointment, I remember last year. People were drafting him relatively high last year, and then he just went out couldn't stay healthy even in the games he did play was not very impressive it looks like we might have been a year too early on him because uh, so far this year game one 11 receptions 169 yards and a touchdown and then he followed it up with last week eight receptions 135 yards and a touchdown 200 yard plus performances for Stokes you gotta love that so far with a Tulsa team that's throwing the ball a lot more right now so Nate is Keelan Soak somebody that you are shooting for on your waiver wire moving forward?
1: Yeah, you can't ignore the, the production that he's had so far. We, we discussed uh, that Bryn Sanity was coming on, and we, we talked about that last week, and, and he followed that up with another nice week in week two. You know, This is an, an, a staff at Tulsa that historically has been a part of some really high-powered offenses at Baylor, at Bowling Green um, a number of years back when they had it going on. So we just, we've been expecting this kind of offense from them for a while, but this is really the first year that they've put it into play. So I'm really interested to see if they can keep it up. But Stokes, is, is, is him and Santana there at, at Tulsa have put up, put up some really big numbers, and I fully expect him to continue to do so. I think he's yeah. in for a big year.
0: No arguments for me there. Honorable mentions for wide receiver. Got two for you guys real quick. Nico Remeggio out of Fresno State. I was going to put him in our main five if he led the team in targets again this week. He did not. Jalen Cropper had a bounce back week and led the team in targets there. But Remeggio, still a very good option for Fresno State moving forward. They clearly like him a lot. They want to throw the ball his way. Probably the safer option if he, between him and Cropper right now. Because Cropper, while he had the most targets, didn't really do a lot with them yesterday. And Romeggio seems to be the one that is doing a little bit more. So I definitely keep an eye on him. And then the other one here, Jalen McMillan out of Washington. Two very good performances out of him the last two weeks. The problem is I'm not ready to fully invest with him until Washington plays a team that has any kind of pulse on defense. So i probably a guy that I'm looking at next week if he plays well against Michigan State. But for now, I'm just going to say keep an eye on him. Any other any other honorable mentions you kind of want to throw out there, Nate? Just any of the positions I've... Realize I keep forgetting to
1: ask you. No, no, no. I think we're good. We've. I think some of these guys we've mentioned here have a chance to be really nice. And I don't have anybody to add as far as honorable mentions.
0: That's good. All right, tight ends. Real quick, we'll run through these guys real quick. First one here. This is the one I'm most hesitant about, but it's the one that, like, I just feel like calling my shot early on this one. Clay Cundiff, tight end out of Wisconsin. Wisconsin, we have seen in the past, utilized the tight end very well with Jake Ferguson, and it is a team that does not like to throw the ball downfield a whole ton, but they do like reliable short field passer or, or ca- pass catchers, excuse me. And like I said, that is very much in line with having a really good receiving tight end. Clay Cundiff has been somebody I have seen beat writers talk about how this staff is excited to have back after he had a very gruesome ankle injury last year. I fully expect that over week, week over week he earns a better role kind of moving forward this past week he had only four receptions for 59 yards and two touchdowns so very touchdown dependent there but again just the way this staff has been talking about him I fully expect them to be just kind of easing him in right now and to, for him to become a bigger part down the line as we've seen other tight ends out of Wisconsin do Nate do you have any thoughts on Mr. Cundiff here
1: he certainly wasn't somebody on my radar uh, a few weeks ago, um, but he has performed well. I think it's probably safe to think that he's a nice floor type of tight end fair. So I, I don't think he's dynamic enough and that offense is dynamic enough to uh, get you too many um, big games. But yeah, he's t- he, he's touchdown dependent, but it's, it's fair to think that he could be somebody that gets you you know throughout the course of the season 35 catches 500 yards and, and six touchdowns you know something like that
0: yeah fair enough all right next one here this one i'm definitely more solidified on here luke musgrave tie down out of oregon this is a man that has seen 16 targets come his way and at least for one of the games has led. he might have actually did he leave his team of receptions last week i can't remember off the top of my head let me look it up real quick uh, I should have I should have this written down. My apologies, y'all. This past it, week. So okay,
1: either Hammers. I was gonna say it's probably either Hammer Slade Bolden or something like that.
0: It was uh no, he led it. He he has led his team he has led the Oregon State Beavers in receptions and receiving yards both weeks that they have played. Um week one, he saw six catches for 89 yards and a touchdown. Last week he had five receptions for 80 yards. No touchdown, no end zone for him last week. But regardless, if you're looking for tight ends that are just getting volume and clearly a top option for their passing games, no problem to me going out and grabbing Musgrave out of Oregon State. They play in the Pac-12, not a ton of defenses that you're going to be scared to start him up against. This is one of those guys where if you waited on tight end and you said, I'll take a shot on a guy, but if he doesn't work out, I'll go grab the hot guy off the waiver wire. Here's your hot guy off the waiver wire right here for me in Luke Musgrave. Nate, what do you think about Musgrave right now?
1: Yeah, I think he's definitely a must-add. He's 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 the top guy there in the receiving game for Oregon State, and they're not afraid to use him. Um, he was actually on Bruce Feldman's freaks list um, in, in, the, in the preseason that Bruce Feldman puts out. And so, I mean, I think he runs. like He's like 6'6", 245, but he runs – like a four five, 40. i mean he's he's an exceptional athlete so um you add that that level of ability that dynamism that we talked about that maybe kind doesn't have this guy definitely does have it and then if you give him the volume i mean we could be looking at at a uh pretty good chance of a top 10 tight end here
0: oh very much so and i'm gonna go ahead and move on to our last tight end here because he's a very similar situation another guy that i'm really bought into right now I debated throwing him him on here because I felt like enough people knew about him, but then I kind of thought about it a little bit longer. I'm like, no, he went late enough in drafts that he's probably still available in a lot of leagues. So we'll talk about him. Joe Wilson, tight end out of Central Michigan. Whenever I drafted him this offseason, it was never like a, I expect this guy to be like my week in, week out starter. I said, this is an upside pick here. And this is one of those upside picks that to me is hitting pretty early on. Currently leads Central Michigan in receptions with 13. Week one, six receptions, 64 yards. No touchdowns against Oklahoma State. But last week against South Alabama, seven receptions, 73 yards, and a touchdown. This is the kind of guy that, first of all, is consistent in terms of how he's getting his targets. Because last week's um, golden child, McGoey, uh, a lot of people picked him up. I said, wait on him a little bit. And y'all should have listened because he only had one catch for five yards. Wilson, it looks like it's a more consistent option here. And once they get into Mac play, he really looks like the kind of guy that can absolutely take advantage of some mismatches for the central Michigan passing game. I heavily look forward to whatever Joe Wilson has for us moving forward here. Nate, what do you think about Joe Wilson?
1: I'm with you. He, he should definitely be rostered as well. He was somebody that, that I was fairly high on coming into the season uh, we talked about that past game the, last week that we yep. think could could be uh, improved this year, and maybe not has to rely on getting 40 carries to Lou Nichols every every week. But the but the receivers in that room are mostly you know question marks, and yep. as we saw, there could be a little bit of fool's gold there. But Joel Wilson is not fool's gold. He's he's done this. He's been doing it for a couple of years. Um, he's a uh, he's a very safe tight end that could definitely finish in that tight end 10 to 15 range.
0: Yeah. And again, when it comes to maxion, you love getting pieces that not a lot of people are in on. And Joe Wilson absolutely is somebody that you could take advantage of right now by him not being on anybody's roster. All right, quick honorable mentions for tight end. I want to throw out Griffin Herbert, the tight end wide receiver hybrid there at LA Tech, has scored 12 plus fantasy points in half PPR formats the last two weeks. Do I love him as an option? No, but even still, if he is truly a wide receiver that just happens to have tight end eligibility and they are using him week in and week out, there could be a little bit of a cheat code there. Uh, So keep an eye on him. The other one I want to throw out here, Terrence Ferguson out of Oregon had a really, really good week last week for the Oregon Ducks. I believe he scored two touchdowns. But again, a lot of people are kind of... He's still off a lot of people's radars because, again, week one, they played Georgia. But... Even in that game, he's seen plenty of targets, and especially down near the red zone, he was Bo Nix's one of Bo Nix's top options in the red zone. We saw it again last week against Eastern or Eastern Washington, right? I believe so.
1: Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I think that I think
0: it's right. But we saw it again last week. He could be a guy that is probably a safe touchdown floor every given week, because that's where Bo Nix is looking whenever they get down near the red zone. Thoughts on either of those guys, Nate? Real quick.
1: I, I think they're, they're decent options. Uh, I'm guessing it's Griffin, a bear since he's from Louisiana. So I'm going to okay, call fair. him Grif- Griffin, a bear. <laughs> I could be totally wrong, but I think that's how people from Louisiana pronounce it, but uh, he's definitely a wide receiver. He's like six to So I don't know. Like, I don't think he's been listed as a tight end on their, on their roster in like two years. So it's kind of amazing. He's still carrying some of that eligibility, but you that's what you kind of look for to getting, an edge sometimes in your league oh, yeah. these guys that these guys that are playing wide receiver. And he's, he's broken off two long touchdown runs, uh, touchdown catches in the last two weeks. So um, there's potential there. We'll just have to see what kind of volume he gets, but yeah, he could be a fun option.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I believe that brings us to the end of our show here. Uh, Nate really appreciate you coming on here this Sunday afternoon to uh, discuss these waiver wire options with us, as well as, let the populace know whether or not they should be freaking out over some of their highly <laughs> invested pro- prospects right now. Um, just a couple of reminders before we go and everything. Make sure you check out the second episode of CTN later this week where I will be discussing your sit start discussions with Chris Moxley as well as previewing some of the higher scoring games for this upcoming week. Be on the lookout for my tweet um, if you're listening to this on Monday probably going to see it sometime in the morning on Monday. Look for my tweet. I will ask you guys for your sit start uh, questions, dilemmas. Try to keep it to two players for one spot on your lineup. If you have to fit in three because you really think it's just that difficult to separate between the three, three, I can handle that as well. Please don't go and give me your entire running back room and then be like, Hey, start two of these guys and let me know if a third one should be my flex. We don't have time for that, y'all. I would love to you can DM me if you want me to ask, if you want to ask me that question but for the show we're going to try to keep it to relatively straightforward this guy or that guy to start kind of questions. Uh, before we get out of here Nate anything you want to remind the audience before we head out of here?
1: No man, I think we covered it all. Just uh it was, it was a great show and man, a crazy weekend and I'm really looking forward to week 3 again.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 ready for week 3 completely on dude. Like the, it I I just the offseason's fun, but I really forget how much fun it is like once we actually just get into it and we're having to analyze every game. God, I love it so much. And, real quick, one more thing before we get out of here. I just want to throw out there again if you want any questions or anything, just reach out to me. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. Nate is at CFF. Nate, always willing to help you guys out with your questions whenever we can. It's a very busy week, right? Or just very busy season right now. So, if we don't get back to you immediately, just hit us up again and be like, hey, just a bump in case you haven't gotten back to it cuz there's a lot I get a lot of e- I get a lot of messages I get a lot of ads every day it's not that I don't like you it's just that usually I'm doing something else at the moment and that I need to I'll get back to you later even so awesome show Nate really appreciate you guys all tuning in and we'll see you guys on this Wednesday appreciate it have a wonderful and blessed day